Good morning. <laughs> I'm super pumped to be here, especially because this is the first time my husband's given me the microphone for a full service. I've been on sort of a probation for the last four years. I had an incident back at our old church where Brandon invited me to tell my testimony, and I thought, yeah, I love to talk. I love the microphone. It's going to be great. But I knew I would get nervous, so he was like, you know what? We'll do it interview style. We'll just sit down, I'll ask you questions, you take the lead, and just tell your story. And I thought, great, what could go wrong? So I'm telling my story, and something goes wrong. I get stuck and tongue-tied, hopefully I don't do that too much today, but I get tongue-tied, and in my uncomfort and fear and trying to communicate to the audience, I blurt something out. I can't blurt it out again for you, I have to leave it for your imagination, because I won't be invited back. But with that to say, it didn't go over well. Uh, the, the room was silent because um, they were listening, but it was awkwardly silent, and you could hear a pin drop type of silent. So this is my debut back, and how I do today really determines if, I'll ever, if you'll ever see me up here past doing announcements. So a lot of engagement is going to be helpful. <laughs> In that moment when I, I messed up, Brandon always does this thing where I, I take it too far, you know, or I, I'm often towing the line. He does this thing, it's, it's the head tilt, closed lip smile. And so it looks like this. Hmm. Hmm. So I don't feel shamed when he does it, but it's my signal, like, you better clean this up, backtrack. And that's what he did when I blurted that thing out. He just kind of went, hmm. So I knew, I, I just looked at him, and I, I was like, oh, what do I say now? I gotta, and I just said, you know, babe, I should really stick to the script, huh? And he goes, yeah. Just stick to the script. And so the crowd laughed and we went on and, you know, of course I have to go home with them. I don't, so we talked about it. But as I was preparing for the message today, I started looking back through my life and I started thinking, why can't I just stick to the script? Why do I have so much trouble knowing what God wants me to do and then doing it? Why do I get in, in different circumstances and then I, I have trouble keeping Jesus at the center of my life. Like, what, what is that? And then I started thinking about you guys, and you probably struggle with the same thing sometimes. One, because we're human, and our hearts are fickle, and we can't always trust it. And so I started, as the Lord took me through this journey, especially when I moved here, because all my comforts were taken away. I didn't have my own people that I'm used to talking to, or my own environment. Dynamics changed within my marriage. When those went away, things started coming up, like fear, anger, anxiety. And I'm like, gosh, I know I just need to stop. And so I wanted, when God was taking me through this journey, I came to 2 Timothy. And it's Paul who wrote a letter to Timothy. And I don't know if you've heard of Paul, but he wrote most of the New Testament, about 13 books, I believe. And he's passing something on to his younger mentee. He wants to kind of help him lead live a life that is fully satisfied in Jesus, where Jesus is the center. I thought, what better verse to bring for us today, because that's what we're all about. The only reason we exist is to learn how to follow Jesus, you know, to learn how to live a righteous life. And then the second part of that is to help others stick to the script and help others learn how to follow Jesus. So when Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, he drops a few lines in the middle of it, and they're awkward, they don't make sense, you're kind of like, this doesn't really fit, this doesn't fit. 
But as I have kind of twirled this around in my head and had someone break this down for me, it has done so much in me. And it's given me a tool to take inventory on how my own soul is doing. Am I really keeping God as the king of my heart, the center of my life? And it's helped me be able to sit across from people just like you, anybody, and kind of understand where they're coming from and help them redirect redirect what's really Lord of their life. So I'm going to read it over to you. So um, I think you'll agree that it doesn't make sense at first. So this is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. Here's the worst line of it. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Thank you, Paul. Um, so he pretty much introduces us to three characters. And, and then he says, hey, think about it, pray about it, peace out, don't call me. Uh, let me know what, he, what you learned from it. And so the first thing he says is, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So we have to take a minute to think about a Roman soldier in those times. And in those times, it was sought after to be a Roman soldier. Young men wanted to be a Roman soldier. They were powerful, glorious. And, it, and the Roman soldier had about four characteristics that it was kind of the creed to being a Roman soldier. And the first one is sacrifice. The Roman soldier had to be willing to sacrifice for the one who enlisted them and for the people they were serving around, around them. They had to be willing to lay their life down for the bigger mission. The second one is they had to be obedient. A Roman soldier had to be obedient. Now, in the Roman and Hebrew culture, this word is twofold. Obedient means to listen and quickly respond. I know all of you are good at that. To listen and quickly respond. When I had Jaden, I have a 12-year-old. Um, some of you might have met him. But when he was younger, I was a new mom, and I also was a young mom. Um, so I was 18, and I was interacting with Jaden. And I had a, a friend in the room whose kids were grown and successful. She was a successful mom in my eyes. And... I was interacting with him, and I was telling him to stop doing something. And I just said, Jaden, please stop doing this. Please stop doing this. And about the 10th time, he listened. I thought, great. That's better than 20, right? I was frustrated, but it kind of was how our relationship was. He was about two. I don't know if you've experienced this, experienced this as a parent or maybe even a babysitter. But later that day, my friend came over to me and kind of put, put her arm around me. And she was like, hey, I just want to challenge you to get Jaden to listen to you the first time. It's really important you get him to listen the first time. I thought, that's, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like something an adult would do, a parent would do. I didn't ask any questions. I was like, sure. And so I never knew the weight of that until one day I did. Jaden and I were at the park, and it was just me and him, and my hands were full, and he started running towards a busy road. And so what do I do? Panic comes over me, and I say, Jaden, stop. And what does he do? He listens and he quickly responds. 
because we had been practicing that. So he listened and quickly responds. And in that moment, I knew the weight of what obedience meant. I knew that the Lord was teaching me that sometimes delayed obedience is not obedience at all. And these Roman soldiers, they had such trust in their commanding officer that they understood that the commanding officer knew the big picture, knew all the pieces that we couldn't see, and also understood the details and the nitty-gritty of our life. So when the, Rome, when the Roman soldiers were commanded to do something, they listened and they quickly respond. Time out for a second. How many of you, when God asks you something, he's telling you to stop doing something, to start doing something, to take a leap of faith, how many times do we turn around and say, how, why, I can't afford that, I'm scared of that, I can't see the other side. Let me encourage you because sometimes our obedience rooted in faith is what causes the miracle to happen or allows the power of God to flow through us. Our obedience rooted in faith. So the third characteristic is loyal. You, the Roman soldier had to be loyal. Couldn't waver from side to side, had to do the mission at hand and stick to it. And the fourth characteristic of the Roman soldier is he had to be devoted. He had to be devoted. See, for the commanding officers, they did not want their Roman soldiers getting mixed messages. They wanted their soldiers to be singularly focused on what they had to say to them. Because once they got mixed messages, they certainly would waver from side to side. And they wouldn't be able to be obedient to, to what they were asking them to do. So I started thinking about it. I started thinking about the commanding officer and the Roman soldier. And for these Roman soldiers, they knew who their commanding officer was. They knew it without a doubt. So I want to ask you today, who is your commanding officer? Is there some lie, some ambition? What is the loudest voice in your life that's driving you to do what you do? Because if you're honest and you're anything like me, you have multiple commanding officers, and the person sitting to the right and to the left of you, just take a look around the room, they also have multiple competing commanding officers directing their life. I have a friend who has trouble keeping up with her email, and it's, she really needs to keep up with her email because it's her business, but she's not good at that aspect of it. So one day we went out to coffee, and we were sitting down and talking, and I look over, glance over at her phone, and she has the email icon says 4,000 and some odd emails. I died. I literally died. I thought we got to help her out. We got to help the sister out. So I said, hey, I see you have a ton of email. Uh, let me help you fix that. Why don't we go through it? So we spent the next two hours like chatting and casually unsubscribing to emails. I don't know if you caught that. We spent the next two hours, right, maybe three going through her email and getting it down. Do you know how many of those emails were actually helpful to her, the ones she actually needed? Five. And by the time we actually got to the email, the coupon to Cheesecake Factory expired. We couldn't use any of the good ones. All those lies and those ambitions and, 
and fears that are directing us, a lot of times it's all junk mail. And we spend so much time sifting through that junk mail or managing the tension instead of just not allowing it in our heads that we don't get to the voice that our soul and our heart needs. Because it's not the loudest voice that we need. It's the truest voice. It's God's voice. So Paul wants us to be like a Roman soldier. Second, he, he introduces us into the next character. He wants us to be like an athlete. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So there's something about an athlete that he wants us to understand. Now, in the ancient Near East times, athletes were amazing. And the word here, the original word, athlete and nominos, was used to describe, to describe a professional athlete. It separated the amateur from the professional. It separated people like me who run so they can eat the extra slice of pizza and the people who are eating to nourish their bodies so that they can win the marathon. There's a great book, it's called The War of Art, and it's by Stephen Pressfield, and he talks about Hitler as a painter. Has anybody ever seen any of Hitler's paintings? Maybe you've heard of it. He talks about how Hitler actually took his inheritance and went to Vienna and used all of his inheritance to study art. And he was gifted, and he was talented, and he was amazing at it. But Pressfield goes on to say that it was easier for Hitler to start world wars than it was for him to face the blank canvas. Because every time he had to face that blank canvas, he had to go from doing something he loved that was fun, right, to the professional level. He had to put himself out there. He had to be disciplined. It took work. It took courage. It took vulnerability. NFL players, I know we have a lot of football fans, football fans in here. NFL players, when they step into the um, professional realm, it's immediately different. They go from playing with Joe Schmo in college to uh, stepping on the field with Tom Brady. Huge difference. When they enter into the professional realm, realm, they get a playbook, and it's about 650 pages. They're expected to memorize that playbook in one month. And if they don't, they're kind of opting out of their dream. They're opting out of going to the Super Bowl. They're opting out, and, and that playbook is what directs the whole team. It's what gives them the same language. It's what gets them to win. It's going from amateur to professional. So as Christians, as we're on this journey through life, trying to be like Jesus and help others be like Jesus, I think our playbook is the Bible, right? The Bible was the inspired word from God. Paul says that later, and he talks about how it teaches us, and it shows us how God feels about us in our humanness, and when we get off script, corrects us, rebukes us, um, I know those words can sometimes be difficult. Believe me, I've spent many of times being corrected by the word, especially when you have a pastor as a husband. I have a personal pastor at home. So um, it does correct and rebuke, but really what God's doing through that, when you feel that angst or get offended or it's not lining up with how you live, is he's saying, hey, you're, you're having a mission drift. You're getting off script here. That's actually not 
what I think about you. That's not what I feel about you. I want to be in relationship with you, and I'm constantly pursuing you. Hey, hey, you took a, a right when I really need you to take a left here. Come on back home. Come back home to me. That's what he's doing. And when we follow our playbook, we get to live a righteous life, a life of justice and peace, a life with shalom. And we get to live fully satisfied in God and to him be the glory. So Paul says he wants us to be like a Roman soldier, and then he brings us into the character of an athlete and a playbook. And then the third character he introduces this introduces us to is the farmer. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So what do we know about farming in that time? It's probably a little different than today. Right? There's no John Deere. You can't go to the store and buy basil for your Caprese sandwich, because that's what I do. It's hard work. It's discipline. It's consistency. It takes soil, seed, watering, protecting. And, and after a lot of time, a lot of doing that, a lot of that consistency and discipline, you get to reap a harvest, right? I just learned when I was preparing for this that asparagus, you actually plant the seeds and you don't get to harvest it for another five years. That's why I don't have asparagus. I just pay for it. So it's difficult. These are all the things I'm, I'm really bad at, honestly. I'm not just saying that. I'm not really good with discipline and consistency. I, I can be up and down a lot. And I mean, honestly, I thought when the trend of the cactus came along, or cacti, is that how I should say it? I thought that I would be able to get good at planting and consistency and discipline. I got three. I put them in a, a pot, and I got them in my house, and they're dead. They're dead. In three months, they were dead. Because I just had no rhythm to it. I had no rhythm. I had no discipline. And sometimes, and, and that's just not what our relationship with God should look like. Because we're on a journey with God, and he's all about the relationship and the journey that we're on with him. And he's not going to, we're not going to get a harvest in our growth with him overnight, ever. He's all about it. And I know our culture is just so saturated with things immediately, right? We need things now that sometimes we do translate that. To, to our hearts changing and our character changing. We translate it to that. In fact, Amazon has come up with drones. For all you procrastinators, you're going to love this. They're trying to come up where you put your order in on Amazon, and then this drone comes and drops it off at your house within a couple hours. I love it. I love it for Christmas. But again, it doesn't translate. It doesn't translate to our walk with the Lord. So over the past three years, God's kind of been cutting through my commanding officers. He's asking me to pay attention. Pay attention to why you do the things you do, why you interact the way you interact, why you talk to the kids the way you talk to them. Pay attention to every detail. And it was exhausting, and it continues to be exhausting, but he says, pay attention. And so I started listing out my commanding officers. Right, you get to read my junk mail today, so you get it up there. I started ranking which ones, you know, are, are the center. And so number one is me. I don't want to fool you. I'm all about myself. I really like comfort. Um, when things seem to get hard, I revert to saying, oh, what about me? 
gosh, even down to if my husband wants to go out, oh, what about me? I'm going to be alone with the kids. Ah, you know, anything. I'm, I, my first reaction is, is me. And then fear is a huge one in my life. Sometimes I struggle with fear so much, I don't even know I'm struggling with it. I just have a lash out at somebody, and then I'm like, why am I, why am I doing this? And I go back, and I'm like, ah, oh, I was scared of this, right? I was insecure about this because fear is bossing me around. Comparison, shame. There's lies that maybe, maybe there's lies over your life that people have spoken or said you can't do this or you won't be like this. Maybe that's something that keeps you in check a lot or image. And it's important to take inventory of this because real quick, I just want to talk to you about John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I just want to break this down for you really quick. Thief actually is translated from the word klepto. And klepto, you know klepto, a kleptomaniac? And so what it means is that it's somebody who steals out of compulsion. It's just who they are. They, they don't need anything. I, I, I don't know, if you're like me, if someone steals my food but they really didn't have food or they're trying to feed their kids, I'm like, ah, oh, we'll just, you know, let it go. But when you find out someone's like, wealthy and all set and doesn't need anything and they just steal just to steal, you're like, ah, there's something about you. And that's, that's what this means. The thief means a klepto. The enemy steals out of compulsion. And then when he says steal, that actually means to embezzle. That word is embezzle. And if you're a business owner, you, you might have heard stories like, or you've heard stories of this, an embezzler takes a little bit at the time at a time. It's like an art for them. Uh, they take a dollar once a week, right? Until the business owner one day is like, why am I bankrupt? I'm looking at these books. I didn't even notice that something was being taken from me. And then there's kill, and you might think that means to murder, right? But that actually means to sacrifice. It means to sacrifice. So I think what this verse is trying to say is what the enemy can't take from you he will get you to sacrifice over to him. And this comes into play when you, are, when you are looking at your commanding officers. So when fear creeps in and you decide not to step into something God's asking you to do, the enemies just get you to sacrifice that over to them. Right? Or maybe you sacrifice a piece of your character for a moment of, of fame or glory. Or maybe you sacrifice your marriage for a moment of thrill. And I, I think this is how the enemy gets to us when we're not engaging with what our commanding officers are. So I started thinking about this. Paul's really unpacking a lot for us. He's unpacking our commanding officer, but he also unpacked how we need to stick to our playbook and pay attention to what we're harvesting. And I think they go together. They go together. And I'm engaging with it every day, and it's a tool that I use every day, and I think you guys also are engaging with it every day. So let's say um, your commanding officer is money. So maybe your playbook is Forbes, the stock market, or maybe you're just so honed into your student debt that that's all you care about. That's all that you're drive, that's driving you. So at the end of the day, when you sit with these people, a lot of times it wasn't enough. Yeah, I paid my debt off, but I still needed more. I never had enough. And they end up harvesting a lot of greed. What about shame? 
That's that thing that kind of brings up like a past experience that tells you uh, you're not good enough or you're not the right type of person. It's not like I did something bad. It's more like you are bad. Or sometimes we'll be in seasons of life where we think like, hey, I'm, I'm 50. I shouldn't be going through this. I, I shouldn't be struggling with my marriage. Or, or, or I've been doing this job now for a year. I shouldn't be struggling with it. And so we have these expectations. And so what sh- shame does, it, 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 it makes you feel like you're not where you should be sometimes. But they're your, own, you, they're your own standards, and we forget to give grace to ourselves. But hey, this is, a lot of people go through this, or this is the first time you've been at this job. Give yourself some grace. And what you harvest a lot of time is escapism. So you see people maybe who go through a season where they overeat, or they are addicted to alcohol, or addicted to porn, or anything like that because they're trying to numb their past tape and they're trying to to numb a a deep pain. And what's sad about this is it just, you get embarrassed of the stuff you're numbing it with, right? Like anytime you see me with an extra donut, you can ask me now, what are you numbing it with? But any, you get embarrassed of that and so you hide that and it's really difficult to bring that commanding officer up then. The next one is approval. Maybe your commanding officer's approval, and people are your playbook. I'm a very firm believer that you can't please everybody. You need to treat everybody like as God created them. But if you're pleasing everybody, you're probably doing something wrong, I would say. Because you can't go around and try to please this person and that person. Not everybody's going to agree with you, and it's okay. And the people who care about you, they'll leave space for that. And the people who don't care about that and, and try to make you feel like a bad person because you're not doing things right, don't, you don't have to worry about them. And what you reap is you reap insecurity. You're now insecure. You can't step out to what God has for you or wants to use you because you're, you're making sure this person likes me. My, I hope my dad likes me. I hope you know, my wife thinks this is okay. I hope my kids think this is okay. I hope every person in the church thinks this is okay. And you just become insecure and paralyzed where you can't do what God has asked you to do. And then there's image. Maybe you think a lot about how you come across to people. Sometimes that's, you know, that's a good thing, but it's when it's, you're stuck on it. And maybe for, for us, it's social media in our culture. You're constantly um, thinking if, if I'm coming across maybe perfect or you, sometimes you have people, am I coming... Do I look messy enough? They might not be thinking that, but that all that comes out of them is, I just want everybody to know my life is a mess, or I want everybody to know that everything's great. We're living the American dream. We come to church every week. Boop, boop, boop. We're perfect. So what you end up, one of the things you could harvest is narcissism. And that uh, we all have a little, let's be honest, we all have a little bit of that in us, narcissism. But it's when you're constantly thinking about yourself and how you come across to others, or, or, and it could be positive or negative. You're thinking about yourself in a negative light or a positive light. The point is you're just constantly thinking about yourself, and you're not able to get outside yourself to think and serve other people. So I think what Paul is trying to say here is to let Jesus be your commanding officer, let the Bible be your playbook, and harvest people. 
love people, lead people, serve people. We must continually practice keeping these into check, engaging with this. We need to be able to quickly figure out what our hearts are bowing down to other than Jesus. What we're harvesting. What playbook are we using? I have a quick story. Um, Channing, he has this deep-seated truth that his dad loves him. Like, I don't, he just, I know some people said, yeah, you know, um, yeah, does your dad love you? Yes. No, he is like, it's, something about it is very deep for him. And so one day I, I started doing this at a young age. I, like any mom, this isn't out of the ordinary, but I would just say, come home and be like, Channing, I'm so excited to see him. I love you. I love you. This little stinker goes, no, daddy loves me. Now, I thought for sure he heard wrong. Or maybe he wanted to think through that a little more, like, just maybe. So I tried again. I, just, I give it, like, a minute. I start in the kitchen. I, I go, Channing, I love you. No, Daddy loves me. And this time he's, like, angry, right? There's a tinge of anger coming out, and I'm getting, like, I have every commanding officer coming up. It's a shame, fear, I need to stay home more. I'm pretty much quitting my job. So I I said, let's not panic first. Let's just keep Jesus at the center. And I go to Channing, I love you and I miss you. No, daddy misses me. Crushed, right? But I noticed something about Channing is he had such a deep-seated truth about that that when I tried to step into that space and take over that space, even though I think I have the right to, but that's another sermon, (laughs) even he boldly and almost was angry about saying, no, my dad loves me. And how much more bold do we need to be when fear creeps in and tries to boss us around, or shame, or anxiety, right? No, I know who I am in Christ. The Lord has given me a, not a spirit of fear, right? How much more bold and ready do we need to be to combat, combat these and redirect them? So it's the three things. You should have received a card on your way in. Did everybody receive that? If you can pull that out for me. I didn't give you any answers today. I simply just wanted to give you a tool and ask you these three questions. Who is your commanding officer? What is your playbook? And what are you harvesting? See, this morning we have a choice. In fact, sociologists say we have about 35,000 choices a day. And the, the Hebrew word for choice is bahar. And it holds the meaning that what you choose, you loudly proclaim to yourself and you loudly proclaim to others that it is the best way to live. It is the best possible way to live. So this morning, I want you to take that seriously. I want you to take your card out, and I want you to choose to wrestle with these three things, to choose to wrestle with who is your commanding officer, what is your playbook, And what are you truly harvesting? Is it people? 
are you at the professional level with your playbook? And there, there's, listen, I can't, like, I'm, this isn't memorized. You know, I, I get that it can be hard sometimes. I, I have difficulty myself um, leaning in sometimes. But you don't stop there. When it becomes hard or when you want to take a next step, you reach out and you find someone who's just a little bit more ahead of you. You say, hey, can you help me dive into this a little bit more? What can you do to take, if, if that's something God is, is we asking you to do, what can you do to take that to the next step? And who is your commanding officer? Who is the king of your heart? So just take a minute on your card and just write that grid out. You have the commanding officer at the top, the playbook, and the harvest. And choose to really wrestle with that this morning. To really ask God, what are you pointing out in my heart? What are you asking me to change or to do? What am I really harvesting? Use this as a tool to gauge how you're becoming more like Christ and how you can help others become more like Christ. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we love you. We're so, so thankful to be a part of what you're doing. We're so thankful to to be able to participate in the restoration of all things. We're thankful that you love us and that you're constantly revealing stuff to us about ourselves and allowing us the honor to help other people uncover their commanding officers. Lord, I ask that as a community, we can come together and learn how to do this so well. Learn how to point out what we're serving other than you. Point out what we're harvesting other than you. Lord, I pray that the the Bible would inform us and inspire us And that as we constantly are engaging in these three things, that you would use us as individuals and as a community to see lives changed by Christ. We love you so much, and we're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.